welcome to Living the Authentic Life. And today I have an incredibly talented special woman, Dr. Terry Rice of the Syndom Clinic. Welcome, Terry. Thanks for Zooming in with us today. My pleasure. Glad to be here. So I have been sharing with you guys that um, this year I'm really focused on myself and my wellness. And I've done that by connecting with the Sydenham Clinic. And Dr. Terry Rice is really an incredible physician because she doesn't just look at um, how you appear to be in your meeting or uh, what what the outside of you says are just your blood work, but she digs so much deeper into what your DNA, your genome, things that I don't even know how to explain to you guys. But she um, is with us today and is going to help us understand our health. And so many people, I think um, the amount of the average days of a New Year's resolution is like 20-something. So I think we're past that. So all of you who've made a New Year's resolution to lose weight or get fit, I hope that today's podcast inspires you that it's more than just about weight and fitness, but it's about a whole body experience. So, Dr. Rice, how did you expand um, your practice to include so much about people's medical um, history and their journey? Well, when I joined the Sydenham Clinic, I was given the opportunity to, I guess, compile all my past experience and to create a way to understand how people's health is in a more integrative fashion. I think that, you know, currently most people, when they go in for a physical, it's more of a kind of a cookie cutter approach and everyone kind of gets the same thing. Like all the men get one group of tests and all the women get another group of tests. And I was given the opportunity to look at people in a more holistic way and to try to integrate all the different components of the things I think that make us healthy and especially become more and more important as we age. And so we put together a program that was based on combination of genetics, uh, hormones, nutrition, and I work very closely with the nutritionist um, as well as sleep and then our physical uh, fitness, which is really not just your you know, cardiac fitness, but also your flexibility and your muscle strength, things that are very important uh, and become more and more uh, important as we age. And I think that sleep is now coming into the forefront as a very important, recognized finally. You know, it used to be, I used to think of sleep as just a waste of time and try to get by with as little of it as possible. Now I understand how important it is for our memory, to maintain our cognition, to feel rested, to have energy, um, and that it changes so much as we age. And then all these other things, our genetics, our hormones, even our diet can affect our sleep. So they're all tied in together. And so we're trying to help people with all these aspects of their health instead of just kind of checking their labs and checking them for, you know, a heart murmur. So... Well, I'm posting often on social media, and I think people are noticing that I have this ring that I'm continually wearing that's not a fashion ring, and it's an aura ring. 
And you don't have to be a part of the Sydenham Clinic to purchase this, but it is something that you recommended to me. Can you kind of share what this is monitoring for me? Right. So the Aura Ring is the best uh, wearable for sleep. And I have to say, Donna, I've just been absolutely amazed at how many of my patients, you know, wear the Aura Ring all the time. You know, I thought that some people would not be adopters and that they would get it. And it's part of what we do at Sydenham Clinic. And I thought I would see them and they would come in without their ring. And I see them and they're wearing their ring when I run into them socially, uh, when they come into my office. So I know it's not just for show for me, but people seem to really, really love it. Um, but it's a very small uh, wearable. I have mine on as well. And it has little electrodes inside of it. And what's fascinating about it is it tracks most of the other things that other wearables do. Um, calories burnt, uh, but also tracks heart rate variability, which is a recovery. Um, it's a way of uh, uh, monitoring your recovery, but it actually shows you your sleep cycles. So in the morning, when you download your sleep data on your smartphone, you can actually see your sleep cycle. So you can see when you went to sleep, when you woke up, um, how many times you're awake during the night, um, how much REM sleep you got, which of, of course is our rapid eye movement sleep, and that is when we dream, and then how much deep sleep and how much light sleep. And we're very interested in that because sleep is very important. Uh, every creature on earth sleeps, even bacteria sleep. Oh, wow. I did yeah. not know Every that. creature on earth sleeps. You know, you think about like dolphins, how do they sleep? Well, they have to sleep half a brain at a time, but that's how they wow. sleep. So it's that important. So there's no reason why everything on earth would sleep if it wasn't important, right? So we need to pay attention to it. But a lot of different functions happen during our sleep, which we're just now beginning to realize what some of them are. Now, I used to think that REM, which was our uh, dream sleep, had to do with our memories. And it, it does some, but that's actually deep sleep. But during REM, the reason you have such weird dreams is because that is a lot of the time when you are becoming creative. And your brain is trying different thoughts together that are not logical, but that's how we come up with creativity. And then during deep sleep, that's when our brain cleans itself, but it also stores our memory. And we know that if you don't get deep sleep and things that interfere with deep sleep, such as actually using alcohol and other things, um, interfere with our ability to learn and to put things into our memory. And it can even uh, interfere with our athletic performance. So we're just learning how important sleep is. But the other thing is that Hormones such as progesterone, which women start to lose as they get into their 40s, their progesterone levels start to drop, are important for sleep. And that's one reason women have so much trouble with sleep uh, as they go into menopause and even before menopause. Um, and then also just the aging process reduces our deep sleep by as much as 70%. So we try to help our patients uh, improve their sleep encourage them to understand the importance of it and to tweak it and to get uh, good sleep. And I saw a big change in my sleep when I was diagnosed as perimenopausal. 
And mm-hmm. um, we do not have my information back on my hormones yet, but um, I'm currently on progesterone and on um, estrogen through a patch. But we're going to look at that. And I had been mentioning to you that I've also been having a little bit of loss of ability to grab words. Like the other day, I couldn't think of what fireplace was, something really simple. And so, um, and that is what you said could also be affected by hormones too. So it's it's interesting. Um, I think Rob did a cheer when I got what he thought. We got closer to having my hormones balanced because it makes you irritable. It's it's difficult, and the sleep is a big part of that too. As you're never totally rested, and it it shows in the way that you look too. It's not mm-hmm. just about what's on the inside. It's it, you wear it on your face as well, too, with stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And I don't think we really understand all of that yet. You know, we think of lack of estrogen causing hot flashes, which, of course, interferes mm-hmm. with our sleep. But progesterone plays a role in there also. I'm not sure it's entirely clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but your estrogen receptors are actually upregulated by progesterone. So you can't really use your estrogen completely without progesterone. Um, but progesterone also is very important for sleep. And many of my patients tell me mm-hmm. that when their progesterone levels are, are low, that they don't sleep well. Um, and when their progesterone is renewed, whether it's through therapy um, or whatever, then their sleep is so much, uh, so much better. And then, of course, um, estrogen is very important for cognition, but so is sleep. So it gets hard to sort out. And, and that's one of the things that I think is what we try to do is just not always try to sort out, is it this or is it that, which is a, that's a, a big characteristic of modern medicine. Our scientific uh-huh. method is we always want to find the one thing, uh-huh. but it's very difficult to sort all that out because it's many different things working together. Um, so if your lack of estrogen and lack of progesterone interfere with your sleep and they're important for your memory, but then your sleep is important for your memory, it all becomes entangled. And sometimes you just have to treat it all at once. And you guys were incredible connecting me with Tony Talamini and our, what's the name of his business? Ex- Acceleration Training Concepts. And it's been so different than a trainer that I've ever worked with because I stand sway backed and he realized that I was having this, uh, um, my hips where they connect weren't, they were um, really shortened. But when I laid back, it was supposed to be my leg could be at a 45 and it was up at an angle like this. So it was, it's just getting your body to a place that it's not in pain and I didn't even realize that I had lower back pain because of the way I was standing and when I think about it and I alter it I realized that maybe it had been at a two or a three so I and those things lead to long-term effects on the body just what we're doing and I'm proudly tell everyone my age I'm 53 but it starts to affect the way that um, your body ages and, and your ability to live a long life. Because when you injure yourself, then you can't work out. So it's such a double-edged sword. So talk a little bit about how that affects the medicine of your body. Right. So we actually asked Tony to join us 
um, because I'd heard such great recommendations um, about Tony. So I know you've talked a lot in the past about tribe and community, but I'm in the tennis community. So mm -hmm. that's kind of where I get a lot of my social support when I moved mm -hmm. to Houston. Um, in 2000, I didn't, uh, 2001, I didn't know anybody and I started playing tennis. And so, you know, years and years mm -hmm. later, almost all my friends actually play tennis. So that's how I learned about Tony. Mm -hmm. And um, he has such an excellent reputation. And so many of my um, patients, colleagues, mm -hmm. friends have had uh, injuries and have recovered and have found him to be more helpful than actually going to physical therapists. But as you as you get older, you know you tend to lose um, muscle mass and you tend to lose flexibility. Mm -hmm. But also all the little dings and dents that you got along mm -hmm. the way, just mount up and they stay the same. You know, for example, years ago I had knee surgery in my right mm -hmm. knee, and I find that every time I'm standing, I'm still standing on my left leg. So I'm having to recover wow. from that. But if you let that go for years mm -hmm. and you continue to put all your weight on one side of your body or you tilting a certain way to accommodate for an old injury, which as we get older, we all have, like I said, dings and dents mm -hmm. along the way, then we get, you know, out of, uh, out of balance mm -hmm. and then it causes more and more problems. So that's, I think, you know, your physical ability, as a matter of fact, I think exercise of the one, if I had one common denominator between my patients that are healthy for their age and patients that are seem to be old for their age, it's exercise. I think exercise, physical fitness is the most important thing. And I think exercise, you know, until you sweat. Um, walking and everything is good, but you really need to get out there and, and really get your heart rate up and really perspire. And of course, you know, what we also don't realize is that when we sweat, that's one of our best ways of uh, awakening our stem cells, um, improving, you know, the telomeres on our stem cells, but also um, getting rid of toxins in our body. So it increases the energy throughout our body, but it also helps us sweat out mercury and all sorts of other toxins that we accumulate um, through our everyday life. And uh I've shared that Rob, um, he had a shoulder injury that he had repaired, and he's going in also to have some neck work done. But with the shoulder, when he went in for rehab, his whole spine was so affected because he had been compensating. So it wasn't just that effect that he was reworking, but it was the other side and how it had switched you over. So I just, I really recommend that people consider, um, listen to their bodies. I mean, people have been saying this, but sometimes when we're type A, we just push through the pain. And I feel like we need to like listen to what's happening and, and be aware of it and know that we have to take precautions as things progress. Um, uh, some of it is just DNA. We talked a little bit about metabolism. I was shocked that you told me that I had good metabolism because I always felt like my mother, who is absolutely beautiful and lean, had great metabolism. But um, I think there's a little bit. Um, let's talk a little bit about the family and how that does 
metabolism transfer. We also found out that regarding metabolism that I'm a little low on my thyroid. And I was like, oh, yay, I'm going to lose lots of weight. And you're like, no, not necessarily. Let's just talk about metabolism, thyroid, family, all of I know those are all different, but they're kind of all together, aren't they? Kind of all together. Um, you know, it's interesting that you'd say that you were surprised when I said that you had good metabolism. And, you know, what I was referring to is that many of your lab tests were just excellent. You know, you were just lucky in that way. And, you know, we do inherit many of these things from our, from our parents. But um, so interestingly, because we spend so much time looking at our patients' genomics, and I think that is just like fascinating and I have mm -hmm. the more I've gotten into this the more useful I've found this to be mm -hmm. and uh and so so true I mean I think it's just such an important knowledge for us to have and uh we we actually look at a genomic panel where we look at 33 different metabolic uh, categories of our patients and 800 variations in their genetic code and you know patients often say to me well um, I don't really need that done because my father lived to be 90 and uh -huh. you know, my mother lived to be 85. And so I know I'm good. And that um, we're not, we, we do inherit our genes from our parents, uh -huh. but we're not our parents. Uh -huh. um, and sometimes that's good and sometimes it's not so good. And, and the reason I say that is because, you know, everyone, we all know that we all have 23 pairs of chromosomes. So uh -huh. we have pairs and they divide randomly um, you know when a child is conceived and sometimes if you have one gene that's normal and one that's not so good the normal one makes up for it but oh. when you get that from your parents you might get one gene that's not so good from mom and the same gene that's not so good from dad and there's so many of these genes uh, involved that it's just with r the random nature of this, you're going to get some areas of weakness uh -huh. and it might not be what you expect because uh -huh. since mom had a good gene and a bad gene and then dad had a good gene and a bad uh -huh. gene for them, it wasn't clinically relevant. But if you get the two bad copies, then it might be clinically relevant for you, especially uh, as you age. Does that make sense to you? Do you understand what I'm saying? It is. And I, um, I, this leads me to you. Um, you have had amazing leadership roles in so many different places. You were deputy director at Bentop Hospital Emergency, and you were at Delta Airlines medical director of Concourse Health. But the thing that I want to dive into now the most is you were medical director at MD Anderson Emergency Center. And I've talked so much about cancer. We lost Rob's father to um, sarcoma. And my godchild, Scarlett, overcame T-cell lymphoma at age six. She's now 13 and thriving. Um, but so many people are looking at if their family had cancer, like how that translates. And so that, this is something I really want Rob to do to look at. Can you tell us, does this test show if you're more prone to growing cancer in your body? So um, not that particular test, but let's okay. go back to what I was saying about the bad genes, you know, okay. you might have something that you don't expect, but by the same token, you might expect something and not get it. Oh, you know? yes. Because you may have gotten the good ones. Right. So a lot of times people come to me and they're very concerned about their family history. Right. But, and it's just because your father had a heart attack doesn't mean that you're going to have a heart okay. attack, you know? 
So the, the genes do divide differently. Um, the test that we do uh, routinely on our patients is not diagnostic of risk factors for malignancy other than melanoma. Okay. okay. It does tell you about your risk factors for melanoma. But there are um, a lot of other genetic tests that we do on some of our patients if they have concerns or okay. we're concerned because of their family history that uh, dig much more deeply into that and can identify uh, if you carry risk factors for other types um, of malignancy, um, particularly breast and ovarian cancer, mm -hmm. uh, but also um, some of the other malignancies as well. Uh, pancreatic cancer is known to be mm -hmm. genetically linked, a very important one because it's so difficult you know, to diagnose early. Sarcoma, mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure about. Okay. Um, but, but yes, there are certain other tests that we do and we do offer our patients um, if they're interested in knowing because of their family history, if, if they're carrying genetic risk factors. They're done through different companies, but I think they're certainly worth uh, looking into uh, if you have a history that's concerning. In my family, it is heart disease that um, three grandparents suffered from. and. Uh, so I was concerned about that, and my test came back that um, I wasn't, I guess, what do you say, you're not prone to it, or what? what is the correct medical term? So with you, all we really have back is kind of your basic labs. The sort okay. of you even said to Quest or LabCorp. And I think I commented that your heart uh, risk factors, the markers for that, okay, the markers. are really quite good. Okay. Um, but when we get your genomics back, mm -hmm. we'll be looking at your entire cardiac panel. Mm -hmm. And there are about, I would say, 12 different uh, risk factors or categories, genetic tendencies that we look at just in the cardiac panel. Um, but there's also a coagulation panel. So that's your risk for blood clotting. Mm -hmm. That can also affect your risk for heart disease. <sighs> Yeah, and then your methylation panel, which I don't know if you've ever heard the gene, the MTHFR gene. Mm -mm. Well, about 15 years ago, a lot of people were talking about this, and this is a gene that is a strong metabolic marker, and uh, it's actually known for how it affects your mood, okay. um, how it can be related to depression as uh -huh. well as bipolar and things like that. But these genes have multiple metabolic um uses in your body mm -hmm. and they're also very closely tied to heart disease so all together we'll be looking at lots and lots of things um, and how they could uh, have an impact on your risk factor your risk for heart disease um, but your basic labs were really really good well impressed. i'm going to be sharing all of that in the future but i think it's just it's so fascinating and then let's dive into talking about shauna she's helped me so much she's the nutritionist that you work with uh, at sydenham and it, it's, it's scary to, I, during COVID especially, I was very forthright with you and I said, okay, I am officially addicted to having a little chocolate every day and I like having a glass of wine every day. Am I going to have to give that up? And the answer was, you don't have to give that up, but let's talk about how that fits into everything else. And I thought that was such a great way of looking at it because and even Shauna, I said, okay, Lent's coming up. Maybe I should give chocolate up. And she's like, well, you're working on so many things right now. Maybe that's not the right choice for you. So I think it's 
The other thing I've found with COVID is to give yourself grace. And that's what I've loved about this process so far. I mean, there's certainly accountability and there's certainly things you have to do, but you're really open to talking to people about their lifestyle and looking at their markers and kind of looking at what food does, because that has a big part, but even more so the supplements can help with that. So let's talk about all that together. Yeah, okay. Well, one of the things, my favorite thing to talk about is that people feel nowadays like eating healthy is giving up things. Yes. Yeah, and so what we see is a lot of people who think they're eating a really healthy diet and they're eating you know, what I, I call it the avoidance diet. And uh-huh. when I ask people about their diet, they'll say, oh, you know, I eat really well. I had chicken breast without, you know, boneless, skinless chicken breast with asparagus last night. And then, you know, the night before that I had salmon and broccoli. And then, you know, then I had fish and then it was the same thing over and over and over uh-huh. again. And so what we try to get people to understand and Shauna talks a lot about this and she is, you know, wonderful about eating the rainbow. So mm. we've kind of, and this has happened over and over again in civilization, is that as society becomes more advanced and more industrialized, the diet seems to become narrower and narrower. And so we find dietary deficiencies in a lot of our patients who think they're eating a very, uh, a really excellent diet. But what they mean when they say I eat an excellent diet is I don't eat high fructose corn syrup, I avoid sugar, I don't eat fat, I don't eat this, I don't eat that, I don't, you know, but what do they eat? You know, because you really need to eat a variety of things. And lately I've become very interested in reading about, you know, the ancestral diet and Uh how important uh, organ meats were and Uh fermented foods and all sorts of varieties of food and how uh, it seems that we're moving away from that. And so what we want to do is to help people understand how to get the nutrients they need from their diet rather than from supplements and have the supplements be there for the things they just can't tolerate to eat or the days when they just, you know, can't eat right. Um, I talk a lot about how I'm just not a morning person. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes I just get up and grab my coffee And on those days, I may take a supplement for choline, which is one of the nutrients in egg yolks, Mm -hmm. because it's so important for our brain and our cognition and our neurotransmitters and everything. But unfortunately, one of my weaknesses is I don't like to get up in the morning and make those eggs. Um, So, yeah, it's not all about giving things up. It's more about understanding uh, what's important in our diet and how to get it and to broaden the, the things that we eat. You know, my grandmother and my mother ate liver. I used to eat liver when I was young. And that's probably the most nutritious food there is on the earth. You know, it's probably one of the most nutrient-dense foods. But if you ask people to consider eating liver nowadays, they think they're crazy. You know? <laughs> but that's just the way things change. We seem to learn what we eat from our, our parents and our friends mm-hmm. rather than what we really, really need. Well, uh, we're in the jewelry business, as you know, and we um, have so many clients from different places around the world. And I asked an Indian friend of ours how um, the different um, cultures within India choose if they eat meat or they don't or they're vegetarians. And he brought up an interesting point. 
um, and I haven't researched this, so I don't know it's true, but he said people that live by the coast ended up eating more vegetables and um, fish and so forth, and people that lived inland were eating um, different foods because just of where they lived and what was available to them. So it does seem somewhat logical that if you're, if when I did my DNA test, I was 50% Sicilian. If I were to eat like Sicilians ate, and I was 50% Irish, but I think Irish ate different than Sicilian. So what half do I eat? <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> do I get to eat potatoes, Dr. Rice? <laughs> well, you know, that's really, that's a fun point, you know, because nowadays people are traveling all over the world and they're, they're mixing, intermixing. And, you know, there's this thing called the uh, Indian paradox where people from India come to the United States and they start eating their Western diet and then they have higher, much higher incidences of heart disease and diabetes, uh-huh. fatty liver disease, et cetera, than uh, they have historically. And, you know, I don't have a good answer for that until we get your <laughs> genomics back. Uh-huh. I think that's one, of, that's one of the things that's really interesting about the genomics is uh-huh. that, um, especially if you're mixed, um, from completely different parts of the world, you uh-huh. find out a little bit about what you do need, um, you know, nutritionally, because mm-hmm. a lot of that is genomics. And I, I like to talk a lot about choline because choline is a nutrient most of us don't know anything about. And uh, it's found in organ meats. It's also found in the egg yolks, but the, the chickens pretty much need to be pasture raised. So they need to be really those good orange egg yolks. Um, and it's in all your neurotransmitters, all your cellular membranes. I mean, it's everywhere. It's so important for us, but many of us are just not getting it anymore. But especially if you're from Northern Europe, then your ability to make choline doesn't, you're not very good at it. You know, you've just lost the genetic ability to manufacture choline. You need to get it from outside sources, but it's also tied to estrogen metabolism. So men need more and women, when they go through menopause, need much larger amounts of choline. And we think that this is one of the reasons that, that cognitive decline is related to menopause is because mm, our nutritional needs can actually change with our hormonal levels. Interesting. And let's talk about why we mentioned men, uh, testosterone. I know that's a big thing for men to consider, but you even mentioned it, that it's something that we need to look at with me. So let's talk about that for both sexes. Right. So testosterone has an important role in both sexes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is very important for our libido. In mm-hmm. women, when they go through menopause, um, their testosterone levels drop as well. Mm-hmm. So there's some new theories uh, about menopause. You know, we really were all taught originally that this was ovarian failure, that menopause was all related to your ovaries. Wow. But now um, there is a... Um, a league of thought that actually our adrenal glands, which are the little, um, they're little glands on top of your kidneys Mm -hmm. that create your cortisol um, and some other hormones that are important for stress Mm -hmm. and for maintaining your electrolyte balance. Anyway, your adrenal glands may start to fail or age um, more quickly than your ovaries. And your adrenal glands in women are your source of testosterone. Um, so what happens is your testosterone levels may start to drop before your estrogen and progesterone levels drop earlier in your 40s. And so you may actually 
go to your doctor and they'll say, no, you haven't gone, you know, no, you're still having your period. You haven't gone through menopause. You know, your hormones are, t are okay, but your testosterone levels may start to fall off uh, in advance. And that can affect our libido, our confidence, and our decision-making ability, as well as our muscle mass and our, and our bone strength. So these are, that's why we talked to you about, you know, we checked you initially and said your testosterone levels look like they're quite low. Uh, let's get our more in-depth testing because the other thing about testosterone levels is unfortunately they can fluctuate a lot throughout the day and be mm. affected by multiple things. So try not to make a decision on just one picture or one okay. point in time. Um, but it's very, I think it's very important uh, for women aging happily. And I um, have, I have suffered in the past with migraines, and now I'm so blessed. I've met with uh, Dr. Jones, uh, and she has helped me really get control of them. But I take a beta blocker at night, and I also take another, um, I believe it's called propanerol, um, and also to help me prevent from having them. But uh, once I got on my uh, menopause regimen, my migraines slowed tremendously. And so I also haven't had a cycle in eight years and I was not perimenopausal. And so now this is making sense to me. It could be that the migraines were actually from that. So I'm wondering if when we talk um, and we get further into it, that I could ease off my migraine medicine and then realize that it's something else. And if I get all these together, that I won't have to take four pills every night before I go to sleep and that I could get more balance just through and also diet and workout. And there's so many other things that we can do holistically without depending upon medication. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see some of the, you know, we know that migraines can be triggered by changes in estrogen level. Mm -hmm. So many people find them to be hormonal. But there are also some dietary things that you may not be aware of. Histamine is one of them. Mm -hmm. um, some people do not metabolize histamine very well, mm -hmm. and that can also increase their risk of migraines. And our genomics do talk or show a lot of mm -hmm. that. It's difficult to measure histamine levels, but they do show a predisposition. And when we talk about histamine, people think we're talking about allergies mm -hmm. or pollen, mm -hmm. um, but histamine is in food. Mm -hmm. And some of the foods that are very high in histamine are any aged uh, fish and aged cheeses. Those are, and then mm. of course, red wine. Champagne is the highest, mm -hmm. interestingly. It's not a red wine. Champagne, then red wine, and then white wine. Um, so that's kind of on the surface. But the other thing is that any food that's left in your refrigerator, um, any leftovers, create histamine on a, on a daily wow. basis. And some people are very sensitive to histamine and can be a migraine trigger for them. So it'll be interesting to see if you have any of those uh, genomic traits and if we need to look at histamine in your diet as well. So incredible. Okay, let's talk about stress because that is what they've said, right, is one of the biggest issues for medical challenges is stress. And they say if you are ill, it even makes cancer grow. How do we... Yeah. How is that, how can we as a, a, a world look at that and really take it for what it is? 
Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know. So, I mean, I, we do know that stress is detrimental to our health. Um, the exact mechanism, I'm not sure we really know whether mm -hmm. it's because it increases our cortisol levels, it increases our, so therefore increases our glucose levels, or if it's just the, we know it's, you know, affects our stem cells, uh, that it ages us uh, prematurely. And we do know some things that are good for stress. I think you have been very uh, cognizant of, mm -hmm. uh, as you call it, slowing down or mm -hmm. you know, meditation or being in the moment. We're just now starting to understand how important uh, these things are uh, for us physically and to lower our stress levels and how detrimental that is. And you know, coming from the scientific standpoint, mm -hmm. We know things like meditation can actually affect the shape of our brain waves. Um, wow. And that, you know, our brain is plastic. When, when I was in medical school, I was kind of taught that you were born with so many brain cells and that was it. And that's mm -hmm. all you got. And be careful with them because <laughs> they're not going to grow back. Now we know that's not really true. And we also know that the connections between our different cells in our brain is plastic and they actually change. So wow. when you have a stressor over and over and over again, it can actually interfere with the connectiveness in your brain and kind of eventually hardwire that stress in. But meditation can do the same thing. It can help to reverse that. Um, it can also affect our levels of neurotransmitters and what happens in our brain is when one neurotransmitter level is high, then there's a feedback mechanism because that's bad, especially dopamine is, is detrimental to the brain. So your brain will down regulate that, it will adjust to it. And that's what we're talking about when we talk neuroplasticity, um, how your brain changes in response to what's going on in your life. And that's how, through thought processes such as meditation and relaxation, we can affect the way our brain changes. We can actually affect the neuroplasticity. It's kind of a very superficial explanation. Does that make sense to it you? It does completely. And then this goes back to the aura ring, like on my readiness for the day. Sometimes it'll say, make sure you take more time to do something that you like or take time to calm yourself down. And I think that it is such about a whole body experience. It's not just about the medicine you take or the food you ingest or how much you work out or what your heritage is. But it's also about like how we emotionally, and for me, and this is, a lot of these things are in blue zones. We kind of mentioned that. But for me, it's also about my faith. So when I get anxious, I also put on the calming app, which I think that helps like to bring me down if there's a trigger. And I'm turning to scripture more now to because that calms me. But whatever someone's faith basis, whatever that spiritual journey They've said that if you believe in something and you, uh, that that can even add years to your life, because I think that calmness that it gives people throughout the journey. And it's like you say, it's hard to ascertain specifically, but there's so much to that. And they also ask people like their happiness and 
the interesting thing, I watched The Happiness Project. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It was mm -hmm. on Netflix. And they were saying that people that lived in, they showed this one man and he was a rickshaw carrier and he lived in, uh, I believe it was India, and it, they had no walls to the side of their house, no running water, no air conditioning. And he was so happy and he felt so much joy just connecting with the people next to him that were in the shack next to him and having his family. And I think COVID has made us kind of all at least slow down a little bit and do some looking at ourselves. And we finally had time to look at the hamster wheel we put ourselves on every day. And I've talked to so many people that are that are hesitating to jump back on the wheel the way they were before. And they want to be walking more and they want to be just putting back in their life what's really meaningful. So I think all that goes with stress. Yes, I think it does. And, you know, it's it's interesting that when you say it's all together, it's the stress, it's it's the whole part is it's all part of us physically and it's not just the medications it's not just the supplements it's not but it's all together but that's just so obvious right but then why is it so many people are oblivious to it you know it's kind of like what we've done is we've taken taken this piece and this piece and this piece and they we've worked on them all separately but what about this weird um thing in our society where what happens up here is not physical, like this is not part of our body. You know, um, we, I do think we need, you know, to really get back to that, to seeing everything uh, and understanding how it's all interacting. Um, but it seems that for a while we've been, been kind of blind to it as a society, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And we have to keep that at the forefront. I mean, Ivan, you mentioned dopamine before, and that's such a big part of what we're looking at now that's different than what we even had 20 years ago. When my daughter said to me, how old were you when you got Facebook? I'm like, I was 40. Because <laughs> when she was trying to fight to get social media, I'm like, well, because it wasn't there when we were younger. And I even admitted to you, I said, these are my addictions. And I said, I'm addicted to social media. Part of it is my business, but I love the dopamine. And... Um, I feel like we have to look at like mentally what we're addicted to. Is it food? Is it alcohol? Like whatever it is that we're so connected to and kind of pull ourselves away from that and get back to so much of it is, it's corny, but like get back to the land, get back to the people, get back to community, get back to um, connect and being responsible for everyone else in society and doing it together and paying it forward and and all sharing and they even there's even statistics that show that leads to longer life is having someone that you love and you people that you care about and a dog <laughs> i mean animals add longevity to life because we can love them yeah so absolutely. there's a lot to long life that isn't even about what's in us right well, you know, and for me, it's interesting. You were saying that scripture was so calming for you, but I do find animals and particularly nature to be extremely calming to me. And of course, there's been a lot of studies now. They're starting to put gardens in hospitals and in medical centers because we know that that is a big stress reducer mm -hmm. uh, 
for, you know, for many people and just getting, like you said, getting back to nature. Uh, and I think for some of us, you know, COVID did help. Uh, I spent a lot more time in my backyard and I took more mm -hmm. walks. And um, also, you know, in my tennis community, instead of it being so competitive, I think after the first two or three weeks, we were all so excited just to be playing again. You know, that yes. just being together and the pleasure of the game it didn't matter anymore, you know, what the competition just kind of fell by mm -hmm. the wayside. Um, I'm not saying you don't want to win the point, but it wasn't like the pecking order wasn't so important uh, because you kind of realize when you're isolated and just the whole situation, I think it made us all take a different look at life. So I think it's, you know, it's been a horrible thing, but it's also made us appreciate things. It was the lemon for our lemonades. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It Good. absolutely was. Yes. Well, uh, we are at the end of our podcast, but we have so much more to share in upcoming episodes. I can't wait to have you back when I get more information and we can kind of dive into this. But certainly there's so many different subjects we could talk about and i look forward to hosting you again is there anything we didn't talk about today that you want to share or summarize um i don't think so i'm really looking forward to going over you know your results and working together and i think we're going to have a great time uh doing that and then hopefully exploring some other aspects of sydenham clinic some of the things we want to look into going forward is some neuromodulation and stem cells and just trying to keep our patients on the cutting edge or of what, you know, what's going on and what we're learning about better health and improving our lives and just making it a, a better journey. Well, you're such a treasure. Thank you so much. Um, and guys, uh, we will be coming to you actually live from the Sydney. Sydenham Clinic on February 11th. We'll be hosting our first forum there. It will be a private small event, unfortunately due to COVID, but we'll be able to show you um, more about the clinic and the things that we offer there. And I'll be, of course, posting on my stories on social media. So stay tuned for that. And thank you so much, Dr. Rice. Thank you, Donna.